You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. I promise I don't have any dad jokes playing for you guys. You suffered enough. And so... Um, but I want to thank Pastor Brian for giving me the opportunity to get up here and speak with you guys today. Um, and before I get too far, I actually want to apologize to the media team because during that very last song, God completely changed the message that I had planned. And so they literally were working overtime (laughs) to get my scripture references in. And just so you guys don't think I'm fibbing to you, the title of the message is Spontaneous Message, LOL. (laughs) And so... I typed it while Pastor Brian and Jenna were doing announcements. And so I am super excited for what God downloaded me. And it really came out of what Leslie was leading in that very last song when she just kept going, the darkness has to flee. The darkness has to flee. And I don't know who it's for in here today, but what we're going to talk about is how your past and your shame has to flee. And that God has a future for you. God has a hope for you. And it doesn't matter what brought you down in the past. It doesn't matter where you messed up 20, 25 years ago, where you messed up yesterday. What matters is that you're in the presence of God today. And where the presence of God God is, there's freedom. There is hope and there is future. And so one thing that I believe anytime we receive the word is we shouldn't just sit in chairs and just be idle listeners, but we should be participators. So anytime I speak in any environment, this is one thing that is, everybody real quick, just put your hand on your heart. We're not going to say the Pledge of Allegiance, but I want you guys to participate in the word with me today. I want you guys to be active listeners, but just repeat after real quick, real quick, say, I expect, I receive, I respond. And so now the reason that I always do that is because what I believe is when we come to God with an expectation, God meets us with his reality and his reality always surpasses our expectation. And so I always want us, anytime we receive the word, I want us to be expectant because God has something for each and every single one of you today. And what God has for one person, God has something different for someone else in the room. But I want to start today by reading in James chapter 4, verse 7 in the Passion Translation. And none of these will probably be on the screen. So again, I apologize for that. But James 4, 7 in the Passion Translation says, So then, surrender to God, stand up to the devil and resist him, and he will flee in agony. I love that version of that verse. And it has to be God because I just discovered it this morning. I've always read, resist the devil, he will flee from you. But I love that very last word. He will flee in agony because demons tremble, chains break and walls fall down at the mention of Jesus' name. And you're walking with that same very power on the inside of you. You don't have any different power on the inside of you than Pastor Brian has. Because you've been a Christian for 50 years, doesn't mean you have any more power in you than the power of somebody who got saved yesterday. It doesn't make a difference. And so what I want us to understand today is it doesn't matter what's happened in your past. It doesn't matter what people have said about you. What matters is the choice and the decision you make today. Are you choosing to surrender to God? Are you choosing to resist the devil? Because if you do, shame flees in agony. Depression flees in agony. Anxiety and inadequacies, they flee in agony because you're walking in the power that God has given you. 
In John chapter eight, verse two through 11, if you've been in church anytime, I'm sure you've heard this story preached before, but what I wanna do this morning is I wanna share a revelation with you that I feel like God gave me from this story probably close to a decade ago. And this isn't factual, and so I'm not gonna say what I share after this story is, is fact. I won't know until I get up to heaven. It's actually something that a lot of people have talked about. But in John chapter eight, verse two, it says, at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, he being Jesus, where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said, said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, women, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So we have this woman who, by Jesus' words at the very end of the story, she was living a life of sin. And everyone was aware of that. But the difference between the Pharisees and the churched people and the difference between them and Jesus was that Jesus didn't define her by her sin. Jesus wasn't looking to condemn her. Jesus was looking to convict. Now there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction is making someone aware and helping them make a better choice. Condemnation is making someone feel less than because of their sin. And not one of us are ever called to condemn. Jesus himself didn't even condemn. He convicted. He spoke with directness. He spoke with grace. We teach the kids in kids' church that grace means I'm forgiven and that God helps me make a better choice. It's that simple. And as Christians, as Christ-like people, we're called to walk with grace. We're called to forgive people and help them make a better choice, not make them feel less than. So this is what I want to talk about with this story because nobody knows what Jesus bent down and wrote on the sand. The Bible doesn't say in a little subscript, Jesus bent down and wrote, he who is without sin, it doesn't say what he wrote. And so I remember reading this story and praying and asking God what he said. And again, this, this is totally what I feel like God told me. I'm not saying this is fact. You can't find out what he wrote in that sand anywhere until you get to heaven. But this is what I believe because the God I know is a God of love. The God I know is a God who meets every single one of our needs exactly when we need him to. His timing is perfect. He knows what we need more than we know what we need because a lot of times our needs actually become desires and God doesn't wanna fulfill all of our desires. He wants to fulfill our needs. That's what he's here for. And so what I believe in this moment is I tried to position myself and put myself in the thought of what was this woman experiencing? Because she was caught in those times what was one of the most disgraceful sins. It was one of the things that, like the Pharisees, like the church people said, she should have been killed for what she did. 
And the Bible story says that she was caught in the act of adultery. So she was thrown in the middle of the dirt, in the middle of this city, in front of everyone, probably nothing but a blanket. They didn't wait for her to get dressed to bring her back out. They didn't wait for her to ask for forgiveness to bring out. They drug her out and threw her in the city court. And so imagine how embarrassed she must feel. Imagine the shame she must be feeling. Imagine how much less than she must be feeling with these people telling Jesus, who everyone has said is the son of God, who people have heard about all the miracles he's done. People have heard about how much he talks about loving people and forgiving people and saving people. Imagine the thoughts and the emotions running through this woman's mind when they're telling Jesus that she should be killed. When they're telling the son of God what she did. Imagine how heartbroken she was. Put yourself in her shoes. How would you feel in that moment? Now I want you to think, what would you need from God in that moment? What would you want God to say to you? How would you want God to build you back up? I know if I was that woman in that moment, I would feel like I wasn't worthy of love. I would feel like I wasn't good enough for forgiveness. I would feel like I was lost in my ways. I would feel like I had no way out of my sin. If, if I'm being completely honest, if I was a woman in this moment, I would feel like I did deserve death. And I'm sure that those are the thoughts that she was feeling. That maybe, maybe I do deserve what they're saying I do. But then in steps Jesus. And while they're trying to get Jesus to condemn her, what I believe is Jesus bends down and is fulfilling every need that this woman has. And I believe he's bending down writing every single reason why he loves her. Every single reason why she is chosen. I imagine he's writing that she's beautiful. I imagine he wrote, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. I imagine that, that he wrote, you're called to be an amazing wife. You're called to be a loving mother. I imagine he began to write the promises that he had for that. You're called to walk in freedom. I imagine he wrote that your sin doesn't define you. I imagine that he wrote that I care about you, that I see you. Because what did she need in that moment? She needed affirmation. She didn't need to be brought down. She couldn't have been brought down any lower. Jesus didn't stand up and just say, hey, get up and go. But he got down on her level and gave her what she needed. This morning, God wants to give you what you need. I don't know if it's something that happened 40 years ago. I don't know if it's something that happened yesterday, but we serve and we follow and we worship a God who doesn't care about what happened yesterday. The Bible says he throws all of our sins and our worries and our shame into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. He's not concerned about what happened. He's concerned about your heart. What do you need from God today? During that last song, when Leslie was singing, the darkness has to flee, all I could think about is how honored and blessed we are to be able to walk in boldness to the throne room of God. I thought of this story and I thought about this woman and how in the moment where she felt least confident, in the moment where she felt the least amount of boldness she could ever feel, that's exactly what Jesus gave her. 
Every single person that spoke down on her, every single person that wanted to take away her calling, to take away her joy, to take away her self-worth and her value, God wanted, Jesus wanted to instill it back inside of her. And here's what I love about Jesus. He didn't just get down on her level and give her her needs and then walk away, but he redirected her. This morning, God wants to redirect you. Maybe some of you have been focused on something that's happened in the past. Maybe some of you have been focused on something you're fearful to have happen in the future because of your past. But right now, God's reminding me of Isaiah chapter 61, verse four, and it says he's gonna rebuild the cities that have been ruined for generations. The generational curses that brought that woman down, Jesus took down in a second and rebuilt her entire future. And he wants to do the same for you this morning. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, so now we draw near freely and boldly to where grace is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. You can boldly approach the throne room of God. You can boldly approach the throne of God. I want to paint this picture for you. And I want you guys to, how many of you guys are parents? And raise your hand if you're a parent. How many parents do we have? A lot of parents in the room right now. Now, I want you to put your hand back up if you have pictures of your kids around your house. We're not judging your parenthood right here, I promise. But all the parents whose hands were up, that their parents, the same hands went up, that they have pictures of their kids. Why? Because you're proud of your children because you love your children. Now, some of them might be a little harder to love than others. That's what Shelby's parents said about her, but we won't get into that. That's, that's stuff for Freedom Track. But you have pictures of your kids around because you love them, because you're proud of them. Now, I want to paint this picture of the throne room of God for you. I want you guys to imagine walking down this long hallway approaching the throne of God, approaching the presence of God. And as you're walking down this hallway, you're looking on wall to wall. And because this is the house of God, this is where the presence of God is, is living and is active. There's pictures of people like Moses. I would imagine God's pretty proud of Moses. You're walking down the hallway and there's pictures of Noah on the ark with his whole entire family. There's pictures of Samson at the very end when he was chained to the pillars and he took one last bit of strength in his calling from God and he tore the pillars down. I would imagine there's pictures of Samson on the wall. I would imagine Jesus' best friend Lazarus was all over the wall because think about the lives that the story of Lazarus changed. I would imagine as you get further down the hall, you would see pictures of David you would see pictures of Paul. You would see pictures of Jesus himself. You would see pictures of Peter. You'd see pictures of Esther. Now, as you approach the throne closer, I want you to imagine looking on those walls after you've seen these heroes of the Bible, the greats of the greats of the Bible. And as you get closer to the throne of God, you're looking at the wall and you begin to see pictures of yourself. You begin to see pictures of you in the moments that 
you were walking in your calling with God. You saw, you saw pictures of your life when you can remember God was with me right there. God was in my dirt right there in that moment. And you walk past those pictures and you get to the throne of God. And imagine how you would feel seeing your pictures on the walls with David, with Moses, with Noah, with Paul, with all these people who, create, who helped bring in and put together this faith that we walk in. Imagine the confidence and the boldness you would feel to approach that throne. That's the boldness God wants to give you today. He wants to give you the boldness of the woman that was laying in the dirt. He wants to give you the boldness to know that you can walk to the throne of God without having to worry about your shame, without having to worry about your regret, without having to worry about your doubt. What I want to remind you guys this morning is that the dirt that was meant to kill you is actually creating something new inside of you. What was meant to end you, God is using to build you. And so don't, don't think about what happened in the past and, and wish, I wish I could forget about it. I wish I could just walk away from it. I wish I never had to think about it anymore. I want you to remember that moment. I bet that woman remembered that moment for the rest of her life, her most disgraceful moment, her most shameful moment, but she remembered it as the moment where God instilled beauty inside of her. She remembered it as the moment where God radically changed her life because she can boldly approach the throne of God no matter the decision she made in the past. And that same boldness that God gave that woman, he wants to give you. He wants to shift your perspective. God wants to take your shame and he wants to turn it into confidence. He wants to turn it into boldness. It's not about what you see. It's not about what others see. It's about what God is speaking to you. He wants to break the generational curses that have been binding you up, that bound your father, your mother up, that bound your grandparents up. The things that have kept your family from being able to walk in their calling, those are the things that God wants to tear down and rebuild. God doesn't just tear down. God doesn't just forgive, but he builds back up and helps you to make a better choice. God's not here to, Jesus is not here to condemn you. He's here to walk with you. He's here to forgive you and help you make a better choice. To forgive you and help you turn it around. I want to end with a story today to help because here's what I want to do. I want to make sure you guys really understand this idea of shifting your perspective because I believe that's where shame comes from a lot of times. The devil loves to use shame to bind us up. Shame is one of the most crippling attacks that the enemy can use because it makes you feel less than. It makes you feel like you're not worthy. It makes you feel like you're not good enough to be loved by God. But he doesn't love you because you're good enough. He loves you because he wants to. It's a choice made by God. The reason we were created, the reason we're breathing is because God wanted to love us. God didn't create us to be perfect beings. God didn't create us just so that we can follow A, B, C, and D. God created us because he wants to love us. He wants to go on a journey with us. And so sometimes we just need to shift our perspective so that we can view ourselves the way God views us. Now, like, as you guys know, I'm from Florida. And so in Florida, 
She'll be shaking her head because she's heard this story before. In Florida, we have a ton of alligators. You guys have any alligators in Florida or in Iowa? That's unfortunate. I love a good gator. But here's, here's what happened with me and one of my best friends, Brian, one day. We decided to go to this state park and we, went, we were gonna go fishing. We grew up going to this state park. You could catch a ton of fish. We were trying to catch some dinner for that night. And we go and there's this dam that you would walk on and literally every time you would cast your hook, you'd reel in a tilapia. And they're, they're like this big, so not huge, but good size for a tilapia. And so we were gonna catch a few to cook for dinner. But when we walk up to this dam, it normally never had a gate on it, but for some reason, it's gated off now because there's a lot of alligators and they're aggressive, whatever that meant. <laughs> so we try casting off the dock and catch absolutely nothing. So we're like, this is pointless. So we decide as natural Floridians that we would jump the fence, keeping people out of the dam and walk out on the dam and start fishing. So we walk out there with our hooks and we do what any good Floridian would do. And we check for the alligators around us. We're making sure we know where they are. And we see three in front of us. We see a couple behind us. And so we both cast and Brian reeled in. He didn't catch anything, but something terrifying happened when I felt a nibble on my hook. Because as I felt a nibble on my hook, I set my hook, I started to reel in. And those three alligators we were watching, their eyes went under the water and all you saw was their tail start swimming towards us like that. And so we both run towards the gate. We're reeling our fish in as we're running. And I throw my rod with the fish over the gate. We jump the gate and the alligators like stayed right up here on the bank. Like if this is where the dam is, they were like right here and they were ready for us. And so we're like, we get the fish over and we were both out of breath, terrified, but we look at this fish and it's like, this is this size tilapia. And we're like, dude, we gotta go back. But we were smart about it. We created this system to where one of us would cast and one of us would watch the alligators because that was the smart thing to do. So we go back and forth doing this for three or four fish. And then finally, I'm on, a, I'm on like my fourth fish and we hear some rustling in the sawgrass over by the gate. Now the gate's probably from here to the wall away from us. It's not that far, but there's huge sawgrass as tall as us and we hear this rustling and then all I see is like, poof, poof, and this giant behemoth of an alligator has walked his way into our, into our path and laid himself right in front of the gate. Our only way of escape is over the gator that's at least seven feet, it's like almost as tall as Shaq, over the gator or into the woods. And we still have the three alligators in front of us, the two behind us, and my hook is in the water. And so we have no idea what we're gonna do. My friend Brian, being the natural hillbilly that he is, takes my rod, reels my fish in as the alligators are swimming to us. And I'm like praying in tongues at this point. Like I didn't, I prayed and asked Jesus back into my heart like five times. I was like, God, if today's the day, I'm gonna make sure I'm going to heaven. And literally, it was like Daniel in the lion's den moment. He reels his fish and the alligators like stopped at the dam. I honestly think it was the prayers. God was answering my prayers. And they were watching us, waiting for us to fall into the water. And then my friend does what I still to this day think was the stupidest decision. But he, he took, I mean, the whole story was a stupid decision. But this was the stupidest of the stupid decisions. He takes the fish off my hook 
And then he goes over to the alligator that's so big that all you see is its torso. You don't see its legs, his head, his tail. His whole torso takes up the path. And he takes his fish and starts smacking the alligator by the gate with it. I'm like, Brian, what are you doing? And all you hear is, which is, that's their sign that they're about to attack. And so he keeps smacking it and it starts to turn its head around and is now has his eyes locked on the two of us. And we're not small dudes. He's probably thinking he hit the golden corral of people. And he starts step by step going after us. And my friend Brian is in front of the alligator. Thank you for the spiritual music, Jason. In front of the alligator with the fish, smacking, like he's, like he's trying to lure a bull with a red blanket. He has the fish and he's smacking it on the ground in front of this alligator's mouth until it gets close enough to the water. He throws the fish in the water. Four gators fight over and we run and jump the fence to freedom. Now here's why I wanted to share that story. Because there is a difference between my perspective and Brian's perspective. See, my perspective was, this dude's an idiot and he's gonna get us killed. Brian's perspective was, this is our only way out. And I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get us out of here. So I wanna circle back to the question I asked earlier and how's your perspective? How are you looking at your life? How are you looking at your past? Are you allowing your past to define you? Or are you allowing your past to be surrendered to God? Are you allowing yourself to resist the devil so that he flees in agony? Don't let shame run your life. Don't let regret run your life because you can boldly approach the throne of the creator, the God who stretches the heavens back like they're just a curtain, the God who can measure every single ocean and body of water in the cup of his hand. That same God has pictures of you in his throne room. The same God that created all of the universe in six days wants you to boldly approach his throne wants you to boldly approach his presence. Despite your past, despite your shame, despite your regret, the same dirt that was meant to end you, God wants to use to build you up. He has a future. He has a hope. And he wants you to shift your perspective, to realize who he's called you to be. The Bible says that you are God's masterpiece. The Bible doesn't say you're God's damaged goods. The Bible doesn't say that you're God's third favorite or fourth favorite. The Bible doesn't say that you're God's second choice. It says you're his masterpiece who was created by him to do the good works that he planned long ago. Despite the choices you make, he's created you to do the good works he planned long ago. You are a masterpiece. Let's pray. God, right now, I thank you for your love. God, we thank you for your grace. God, thank you that no matter what happened in the past, you have forgiven us. No matter what has happened in the past, you want to help us make a better choice. 
So God, I pray today, James 4, 7, over everybody in this room that we would surrender to God and that we would resist the devil. We would resist shame. We would resist anxiety, resist temptation, resist generational curses, and they would have to flee in agony. Thank you for the power you've instilled on the inside of us. The same power that conquered the grave lives in us. The same power that rose that woman from the dirt lives in us. The same power that rose the dead lives in us. Help us to shift our perspective so that we can walk in boldness to your throne. God, I thank you that you see us, you chose us, and you love us. In Jesus' name. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.